you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Tonight we're going to pick up in the book of Acts. Um, Brother Bollinger reminded me last week that um, I was unsure and I asked if it was lesson four and afterwards Brother Bollinger said I've been keeping notes and it was lesson five last week. Uh, So tonight we will pick up with lesson six. Uh, in the book of Acts, in our Acts of the Apostles series, and um, we're going to pick up tonight in Acts, the fourth chapter, and uh, we will end. We will pick up where we ended last week, as uh, the man. Remember the man that was lame uh, from his mother's womb uh, was set by the gate. Um, and entering into the temple, and Peter and John made their way by the temple, going to the temple at the time of prayer, and the man asked alms of them, and of course they said, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have give I thee, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes him by the hand, he rises, and he goes into the temple with Peter and John, And uh, he was leaping and praising God. And, uh, of course, it caused quite a stir. And people uh, began to gather and uh, people began to ask questions. And uh, news of this miracle, because it was a certain man that had been known, obviously in the, the area, people knew who he was. Tonight we will learn that he was about 40 years old. So for 40 years he had been in this condition, set daily by the temple gate. And uh, so now it has caused a stir. And uh, they, the religious leaders, uh, not the apostles now, understand <coughs> this is following, this is just a short time. After the day of Pentecost, all right, so the day of Pentecost happens and people receive the Holy Ghost, news travels, Uh, Peter preaches and more people are added to the church. So this is all very, very new. It's created a stir in the religious community and the religious leaders, of course, are now coming out. They're upset with the apostles. And uh, we're going to now, tonight, we're going to get into this segment where now we have a a a man that was lame from his mother's womb, 40 years old, is now walking by the power of of the Lord, and uh, it has now caused a stir, and uh, they become upset, the religious leaders become upset, 
and they began to uh, push back toward the apostles. And they began to press upon them. This is where we're picking up tonight. And of course, they are telling Peter and John and the other apostles, we want to know how this miracle happened. Because miracles had never happened. Other than the miracles that happened at the hand of Jesus. Now, miracles were not commonplace, and so news of this miracle had spread throughout the land. The religious leaders are upset. They want to know how that they went about this, how this came about. And, of course, they want to silence Peter and John and the apostles. And they want them to stop speaking and preaching in the name of Jesus. This is where we pick up tonight. Peter refused to deny the power of his this message. This is where we get we 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 come now to this point where Peter refuses to deny the power of his message that he was preaching because the power of his message Peter declares is very simple. He says the power is the name of Jesus. And I believe that Peter preaches his strongest message on the name of Jesus to date. He preaches it here in the text that we are getting into tonight. And at the conclusion of us going through this, and you can, you can choose for yourself, you can, you can decide, but I'll speak for me. I do not understand how anyone can read the account that we're about to study tonight and be confused on the name of Jesus. This is as clear, if you can read, you ought to be able to understand that the power is in the name of Jesus. Bishop Stan Gleason was, shared a story at even greater conference last week and he said he was meeting with a Trinitarian missionary who did believe in the power of the Holy Ghost and had been very successful in his region in gathering people and he believed in the power of the Holy Ghost and had dealt with many devils and uh, he had cast out many devils and he is talking to Bishop Gleason and uh, they were discussing the, the success in this region and the incredible uh, demonic influence in this region. And this man begins to declare how that he cast out devils. And Brother Gleason, in his wisdom, saw an opportunity to step in and to question the man. So he asked him, how do you cast out devils? And he said the man looked at him like, you are the assistant general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church and you don't know how to cast out devils? He was kind of puzzled. And so Brother Gleason became more specific and he said, what do you say when you cast out devils? How do, what, what, what words do you speak? What, what do you say 
over him. And, and the missionary, he said the missionary acted like he was just an idiot. He's like, what do you mean? What, what, what do you mean? Brother Gleason said, do you cast out devils by speaking the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost over them? He said, no, there's no power in that. The missionary said, when you cast out devils, you very distinctly must declare the name of Jesus over them. Brother Gleason said, I sat down and slid back in my chair and had a very dramatic, puzzled look on my face and said, well, if there's no power in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost to cast out devils, then why in the world do you baptize in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost if there's no power? He said the missionary slid down in his chair and looked puzzled and confused for a minute and looked around the rooms and he said it was awkward silence. And he said he looked at Brother Gleason and said, You have caused me to realize that everywhere in the New Testament people were baptized. They were baptized in the name of Jesus. Brother Gleason said that's because they wanted power in their baptism. The missionary said, you got to baptize me in the name of Jesus. Brother Gleason baptized the missionary, and the missionary baptized everybody in his group in the name of Jesus. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. All right, let me get into my text now. Acts, the fourth chapter. We're picking up with verse number 8. I believe that's where we are. Is that where we are, Brother Bollinger? You know where we are. I get lost. Is that where we are? All right, all right. Thank you. All you note takers, I get sidetracked chasing rabbits. And <laughs> Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, ye rulers of the people and elders. I mean he addresses them. You rulers of the people, all you politicians, and all you rulers of Israel, that's, you weren't a ruler of Israel unless you were religious. So now he's addressing the religious elders. If we this day be examined of the good deed, remember now they've, got, they've been thrown in jail, right? So we ended that. I think they were, they were detained. They were held overnight. And now they're brought back and put in the middle of an assembly of people. And Peter, full of the Holy Ghost, said, you rulers of, of the people and you elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to this impotent man, by what means is he made whole? This was the question at hand. This is the question they're asking. So he's reiterating by what means. He said, I, I know what questions you're asking. I can hear the whispers in the distance. I can read your lips. Be it known unto you, unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that, verse 10, I want somebody to help me read this. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, 
even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. You can't get any more plain than that. You crucified him. Now, you notice every time Peter preaches, it sounds like he studied one time, got one sermon, and he preaches the same thing over and over again. He tells them, you crucified him. God raised him up. He said, by him does this man stand here whole. Verse 11. Now, he is referring to Jesus. He said, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders. All right, he just addressed. What did he address? Who did he address? The politicians and the religious leaders. He's referring to them as builders now. And he said, this is a stone because all the building, uh, when we, by the way, we're planning a trip to Israel. You're not going to want to miss it. I'm looking forward to it. You're going to want to go. It opens the scripture up to you. I was there many years ago. Everything's built out of stone. Everything is, everything is rock. He said, you builders, this is the stone which was set at naught of you. In other words, you took the stone and you cast it aside. You said, ah, I can't build with this. You politicians, you religious leaders took Jesus and you cast him aside. This is what they're saying. But he became the head of the cornerstone, which has become, he says, the head of the corner. In other words, he has not just become a cornerstone, he has become the head cornerstone. He is the chief cornerstone, one scripture calls him. So he speaks of Jesus as the stone that was cast out of the religious system, out of the political system because it was unwanted. Jesus was unwanted. He was unaccepted. He didn't fit into their, into their political and their religious society. But he declared... Peter declared that Jesus became the chief cornerstone. Verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. Not in Gandhi. Not in Hare Krishna. Not in Allah. Nowhere else, there is no other salvation. Then he goes further. I believe here he is clearly declaring that other than Jesus, there's no other salvation. Then he declares the name of Jesus, for there is none other name. Under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. Can I talk to you for a moment? It doesn't matter who says what, there is no other way to be saved. The name of Jesus is the only way to be saved. Without the name of Jesus, there is no hope for salvation. It doesn't matter how much we want somebody to be saved, how much we wish they were saved, how much we desire them to be saved, there is no other way to be saved other than by the power that is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he declares this to them. There is none other name under heaven. I mean, there. He, in my opinion, this text right here, 
dots the I, crosses the T. You can go grab everything else you want to grab in Scripture, bring it back, and this Scripture is going to be a kingpin that is going to go in, that all of those scriptures are going to reference back to. There is no other name. There is salvation in no other. Verse 13. Now when they, the politicians, religious leaders, all right, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Now, let me stop for a moment. Why would they perceive that they were ignorant and unlearned men? Because of their boldness. What, why did their boldness cause them to think, perceive, in other words, perception, was that they, because they weren't ignorant and unlearned, but they thought they were ignorant and unlearned, because of their boldness. Why would their boldness cause them to believe that they were ignorant and unlearned? Because they are sitting in the middle of the room. Remember last week? They were held overnight in jail. They're brought out. They're sat in the middle of the room. Whether they were held in, in, in chains or not, I, I, I don't know. But they're sat in the middle of the room. They are surrounded by accusers, and yet Peter still preaches when Peter says, there's none other name under heaven, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He is incarcerated and preaching to the people that could condemn him to whatever they want to condemn him to. They just killed Jesus, who was notably innocent. In order for them to preach this, something would have to be either they were ignorant and unlearned, which is what they thought, or they were highly anointed of God and they were on a mission that they were willing to give their life for. And the latter is the real case. They were so bold in this setting to declare the name of Jesus. I won't give it up. I won't, I won't throw in the towel. I'm not going to say what you want me to say just because it would get me out of jail free. I will declare the name of the Lord and I don't care who doesn't want me to speak the name of Jesus. That's what they're saying. They thought they were ignorant and unlearned men and they marveled And they took knowledge of them. Hmm. They're ignorant and unlearned, but they're marveled because they're speaking eloquently and powerfully with authority. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So something, something about them Reminded them and let them know that they had been with Jesus. Either their approach to ministry, the spirit in which they approached, whatever it was, everybody knew that they had been with Jesus. You want to have an apostolic church? People ought to know we've been with Jesus. That ought to be a given. They've been with Jesus. 
Normally one in jail wouldn't speak boldly, but they were so persuaded that their message had the ability to change the world. They were so persuaded. Yet the politicians and religious leaders wrote off their boldness as ignorance, but they marveled because they could tell that they had been with Jesus. Verse 14. And beholding the man, or looking at the man, which was healed standing with them, they couldn't say anything against it. They could say nothing against it. They're wanting to so bad. They're looking for a reason. They're looking for something they can say. But here they are, the politicians, religious leaders, they've held them overnight. They've got them in the center of the room. They must be ignorant, unlearned, or really persuaded because they come boldly declaring this and they're thinking, okay, now what are we going to do? But they couldn't do anything about it because here stands a man whole. What are you going to say about a miracle of a man that hadn't walked in 40 years now made whole? Can I apply this for a moment? Here's the issue with the church. When the church, when when the church has miracles and when people begin to see changes in lives, miracles of healing is one thing. The greater miracle is when a life is turned around. And when people begin to see it and witness it for themselves. News is going to travel and as angry and as mad as they want to be at the church. As much as they try to punish and torment the church and as much as they try to throw to try to hinder and harm the church, at the end of the day they have to back up and say, we really can't say anything against what they're doing. We may not like it. We may not want it. Oh, you think this was just the early church? I don't have time to even go there tonight, but that sounds a whole lot like Christian Life Church. Because... While some just love us, not everybody does. Some would like to see us go away. Some would like to try to take our very own name and try to use it against us. Some would like to jump in on the bandwagon because Christian Life Church and CLC has been spread around so they'll try to find a way to make it look like it's them. Some would prefer that we would just be silent about everything that is going on. But at the end of the day, when they see lives turned around and people changed, you're going to hear more about it. We're getting ready to do, we're getting ready to do a, a great program that is called The Solution. It's more than a program. It's, it's really going to be a movement. I believe that. It's called The Solution. I've received and accepted a challenge to do something in our community to try to give an opportunity to counter the drug use and the suicide that we're having here. We're going to put some energy and effort into it. And we're working on something that is called the solution. We're going to reach into our schools. We're going to reach specifically for our our teenagers and young adults that are so deeply involved in drugs and We're going to to reach in with everything we have and we're going to offer a solution. I'm going to tell you, not everybody's going to rejoice when we get involved in this. 
And when they hear that we're baptizing people, Pastor Jeff Harpool from Terre Haute, Indiana, shared a story Friday night at even greater conference. He said, we have a man who's a known drug dealer in the area. We got him in jail. We started teaching him. He wanted to turn his life around. He got out of jail, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, started coming to church. They've got people working with him, developing him, trying to help him grow. His church is influential in the community. He said, I looked over on Sunday night. And he said, in our church we have the chief arresting officer of the drug task force. And we also have the district attorney. And I can't call the gentleman's name, but he said he came forward and he said he was in the front of the room and hands was lifted and he was crying and he was praying and he said on one side was the officer that arrested him and on the other side was the attorney that locked him away. And they're all down front praying together. He said that's what revival in these days needs to look like. We want to be an apostolic church. We hate the sin, but we love the sinner. And we've got to embrace people that may not be like us and we may not feel like, we may look at people and say, look at all the things they're doing, but when God gets ready to turn their life around, we've got to put all that aside and walk down to the front like the district attorney and the arresting officer and embrace them and love them and pray for them. So not everybody's going to rejoice. Some are going to be upset because we're not doing it their way. Because their name's not attached to it. Because it didn't smoke if it's not coming out of their stack. And beholding the man that was healed standing there, they couldn't say anything against it as much as they wanted to. Why are you so angry? Because I can't, I just don't have anything to say. And we're not going to give them a reason. Because we're going to keep a good attitude despite what they say and how they act and what they do. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. So they, they, sent the, they sent the apostles out, away from the, the council, out of earshot, so that they could talk. And they conferred among themselves. They had conversation. Verse 16 saying, what shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable, everybody say a notable miracle. A no, this was a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem. That's how popular this miracle was. Overnight. Did you get that? Overnight all Jerusalem heard, hey, the 40 years that the lame man's been down there 
He's walking. Those apostles went down there and took him by the hand and spoke the name of Jesus over him. He got up. And all Jerusalem hears it, heard about it. And so now the council sends them out and they're talking. What are we going to do to these men? For indeed it's a notable miracle that happened. And it was done in front of the eyes of all that dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But, now watch what happens because they wanted to prevent the news of this from traveling. Let me speak boldly to the church tonight. I know, I know, I understand. Some people's going to try to use the personality to cop out of this, but it's not personality. Some of it is teaching, and I'm going to be bold enough to say wrong teaching. Notable miracles means that people knew about it happening. When God does something for you, you do not need to be silent. When God performs a miracle, you do not need to be silent. You need to speak up. You need to use social media. You need to tell everybody you know. In today's society, social media is the most powerful tool that we have. I tell Gentry all the time, he's not on social media. I think maybe he has one little venue of social media and he doesn't use it much and he's an evangelist and a lot of people reach out and they're, where's Gentry on social media? I want to connect with him and hear about all the things that's happening and I've been preaching to him and telling him, you've got to get on social media. He said, I got off of it. It was discouraging me. I'd get on, see what people would say and people are fighting and fussing and I can't handle all that. I just don't want anything. And I said, son, you've got to just throw all of that mess aside and you've got to find what's good and I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and go in all the way now. I'm already about chin deep. I'm just going to go ahead and go in over my head. The church, the church members ought to never be involved in anything, anything, anything that is on the world wide web that is negative. Well, it's my opinion. Lose the negative opinion. That's what people see of the church. If you're a member of the church, I'm just going to break it down. If you're a member of the church and you say something that is slanted in some method, in some manner that's going to be a little negative or a, a little, every backslider that you're connected with, that's right. Because they're looking for a way to find fault. So don't let, don't let your your good be evil spoken. Well, it's just an opinion, and I didn't mean anything. That's why we need to pray about it. Should I post it? Should I not? Should I say? So everything that we do ought to it ought to magnify God, and it ought to edify the body. That means lift up, edify, to lift up, build up. It ought to it ought to be positive about the church. If I preach bad, don't get on and say, Pastor, preach bad. Just don't say anything. And when I preach a little bit good, get on and tell everybody how great I am. And when we have a good service, get on and talk about it. Spread the news. Somebody gets healed. Woo, somebody at our church got healed this week. Well, I don't believe in healing. Come on down. You will. Just find a way to use it for something positive. Just because Facebook says what's on your mind doesn't mean... 
doesn't mean we got to say what's on our mind. Because we already been through the Proverbs series, and the Proverbs series said, a fool speaketh what's on his mind. But he that keepeth his tongue. So we gotta, we got to guard our words. So news of this spread all through. So I, that was before telephone. That was before fax. That was before, I mean, it was word of mouth, which is still perhaps the most powerful tool that we have. It's our tongue. It's our mouth and our keyboard. So news spread. This notable miracle, it spread. And everybody knew about it. And so now these, they're admitting it. Look, everybody saw it, and we cannot deny it, but we need to stop this news from traveling. Now, I, I guess I, I got all sidetracked talking about social media, but let, let me just, I didn't finish what I started saying earlier because some people have been wrong, wrongly taught. Well, I know God did it, but I'm just going to keep it to myself. I don't want people to think I'm bragging. Brag on God all you want to brag. Lift up the church. Edify the body of Christ. In today's society, sometimes some of the most powerful things you can do is just say something positive. Just, just, just be positive about what is happening. Rejoice in what is happening. Find something good to say. So they wanted to, to, to prevent it. So verse 17, but that it spread, they, we can't deny it, but that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them. They, they weren't good. They just said, we're going to threaten them. We're going to tell them if, if news of this gets out, we're going to really, you're going to really be in trouble. So let us threaten them that the news of this doesn't spread any further. And that they speak henceforth to no man in Jesus' name. It started right there. This is when the fight against the true doctrine of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ was started. Threaten them. Tell them we'll, we're going to punish them. Don't tell anybody. What happened? Don't let this news go any further. Everybody, the people that know, know. But nobody else needs to know. you got to keep it quiet. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Verse 19. Now they're called back in. They're back in the council. Peter and John had a death wish. They answered and said unto them, whether you like it or not, whether it be right in the, in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge you. In other words, here's, it's pretty clear what they were saying. You're telling me to not speak the name of Jesus anymore. So you tell me. Is it better to do what God said do, or is it better to do what you said do? Verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. There again, you want to know what Jesus said? Read what the apostles say. 
rock because it's what they have seen and what they have, they have heard. So they, they had a death wish. They, they couldn't help. He said, we can't help but speak the name of Jesus because there, there's no power anywhere else. So verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no, no way, nothing, how that they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done, even the unbelievers. There's my point. This is why we have to magnify the miracles and the good things that God is doing because even unbelievers, all men, will end up glorifying God. Because when the miracle is done and they can't deny it, people are going to glorify God for it. Verse 22, for the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. And being let go, they went to their own company. They went to their own people and reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said unto them. So they went and said, all right, guys, here's what just happened. So they gathered with their own people, shared everything that had happened, and they called the people into prayer meeting. This is how the church ought to respond. The pushback of the church. The pushback of the church. We don't even need to do it publicly. We don't need to go, we don't have to go march on the city square. We don't have to go march on the, we need to take it to prayer. The church ought to be able to come together and say, this is what they said, but here's what we're going to do. Verse 24, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. See, the same thing that happened in the book of Acts. Now, in, in Acts chapter 2, when they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, now they began to lift up their voice with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and sea and all that's in them, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? So they are now quoting Psalm again in their prayer. They're quoting it to God, the king of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against the holy child Jesus whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatever, whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. They're saying, God, your will be done. God, we're praying for your will. That ought to always be the center of our prayer. God, your will be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. They told us if we keep preaching in the name of Jesus, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness, give us courage. This is what they're saying. Give us courage to keep preaching. Give us courage to keep testifying. Give us courage to keep speaking. I've never shared this before. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but i got to tell this story because it fits in right here. There's a young man, probably wasn't doing everything he ought to do, wasn't really living the way he ought to live. He knew it. His mama knew it. He'd get all of his buddies together, and they were doing some things they ought to not do. He knew it. he ought to not be doing it, and his mama knew it. 
And news of this spread all the way back to the preacher, and he heard all the story about it. And it was the funniest thing in the world to hear a grown man that thinks he's a bad boy tell me about his buddy who was doing things he ought to not do. And his mama took anointing oil. And Sister Wanda walked into where they were and started anointing with the kids, with the, with the, the friends there and said, you're not going to do this. You got it. <laughs> That's bold, Sister Wanda. That's bold. That's bold. I got to tell you, I laughed and I laughed and I laughed and I laughed. I just could see it. No man wants their mama to come in in front of their buddies and start anointing and praying that God shuts them down. But when mama gets desperate, she'll do what she has to do. And God hears mama's prayer. Lord, behold the threatenings. Grant to thy servant to have boldness to speak thy word. We've got to be wise about what we say. But when it comes time to speak, we need the courage to be able to do whatever we got to do. If mama needs to go anoint somebody's house, just go on down there and anoint their house. If you need to look at somebody and declare unto them the word of the Lord, you need to have the boldness to be able to do it. You need the wisdom, but you need boldness. By the stretching forth of thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. <laughs> Prayer meetings ought to not be a silent little room. There ought to be some shaking that happens in our prayer meetings. I'm talking to Christian Life Church tonight. Our prayer meetings need to be more powerful than they've ever been before. We're getting ready to move into a season of prayer with all the other things that's going on. We're going to be covering what we are doing in prayer. We're getting ready to go to the park. We're getting ready to do some events at July the 4th and July 7th. And then we're coming back during the hot dog festival. All these things are going to be covered in prayer. Sister Shauna contacted me and asked me, Pastor, can I put together a prayer plan to get people involved that maybe can't walk the street and can't be a people that could get involved and pray? I said, absolutely, Sister Shauna. Go to work on it. We haven't gotten together. We're getting together this Friday, I believe it is. And we're going to, we're going to start the plan and the process. Our prayer meetings ought to not be silent. They ought to be powerful. They ought to be powerful. And the place was shaken. It was shaken. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Hmm. They had prayer meetings. They were non-believers showed up to prayer meeting and all of them got the Holy Ghost. And spake the word of God with boldness. While the narrative continues, the subject matter begins to take a slight shift now. With their newfound salvation came a heart change. And the change of heart redirected their view of wealth. Watch what happens now, verse 32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed 
was his own, but they had all things in common. Remember, we already addressed this the other day. Some people tried to take this and build cults and say everybody lived together in a commune. And, and you know, what they're saying is, is I don't have anything that my brother does not have access to. If there's a need, I will meet the need. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there among, among them that lacked. Nobody, nobody lacked anything because they had all things in common. So when they saw a brother with a need, they helped the brother. Not because brother didn't want to work. We covered this already, didn't we? For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Hmm. The church ought to never have a need that doesn't go met. It ought to always be met. Every need of the house of God ought to be met. Boy, you were, you were all rejoicing with me a few moments ago. Because with Holy Ghost salvation should come a change of mind about wealth. Because my mansion is not here, it's over there. So if there is a need, the need should be met. And Joseph, who were the apostles, was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. A spirit of generosity accompanied the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And this man, obviously wealthy, sold a piece of land and he brought all the money from the sale of the land and he laid it at the apostles' feet. And other people around, of course, began to catch on. You're going to see this. It's the unwritten part of the text. But some were not so converted but wanted to make it appear that they were giving like everybody else. This next story is a big reminder to be honest in our tithing and sacrificial giving. This is what it's really about. If you want an apostolic church and we want miracle signs and wonders, it will always come with the accompaniment of apostolic giving. That means all things are coming. So when there is a need, whatever it is, whatever we have to do, if I have to. So this man was wealthy. He went to Cyprus. He was Greek, obviously. And he sold what he had. He sold the land. He brought it. And he laid all the money down. This starts catching on. People start thinking, hmm, well, I want to do the same thing. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And they kept back part of the price. Now, 
I'm not going to take the time to get into the whole tithing here. I understand, I understand that Barnabas sold land and the best I can understand the scripture, he brought 100% of what he had sold and he laid it all there. A certain man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold their possession. They kept back part of the price. And here's why I believe, here's the issue. It's become a matter of the heart. His wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled thy heart? Watch the words here, verse 3. Somebody read that out loud, the next phrase. To lie to the Holy Ghost. Here's the issue with tithing. First of all, I thank God that this church was set up the way it is because I only refer and look at tithing when I'm getting ready to appoint someone or usually once a year I sit down and do a, do a review of tithing so that I know who's with us financially and spiritually. Because just because you run around the church doesn't mean you're with us. And so I don't know. There's a few folks sometimes I may look at their giving and I'm thinking they're living on that? And driving that kind of car and living in that kind of house, I'm going to get them to be my financial advisor. Because if they can live on that, all right, enough of being funny. It is true. Because not everybody, when their soul gets saved, their wallet gets saved with them. And so the issue with Ananias and Sapphira, they held back apart. The Lord requires us to give a tithe, that is a tenth of our increase. So if it is increase, it's a tenth. I remember growing up, they would, people would come over to our house and they would bring tomatoes and they would bring corn and they, they grew gardens and they brought literally, if they picked 100 tomatoes, they were going to bring 10 because it was increase. I mean, it was... Don't anybody get any ideas? I, I, one or two tomatoes is good. My wife doesn't eat them. But, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> so the point is, is these people were so pure that in everything, not just their paycheck at the end of the week, but in everything. So I've had people ask me, Pastor, do you pay on the gross? Do you pay? Increase. Increase. And you decide what increase is. Because I don't even know what you make. And your brothers and sisters don't know what you make unless you tell them. But God knows. So the point is, be careful about coming in and going through the motions like, I'm a saved, sanctified member of this church since 19, when Moses was a baby. And I got my tithing envelope right here. You know, you know what irks me? Can I just be real with you since I'm here? Sometimes we do sacrificial offerings and people will come forward and they bring things forward. And I see people come forward, you know, and they're carrying the envelope and they're like, and they lay it down. And when you go through the envelopes, there's a whole stack of envelopes that are just 
blank and there's nothing in them, but they came to the front. Don't lie to the Holy Ghost. If you don't have to give, don't be embarrassed by it. If you don't want to give, don't lie to the Holy Ghost. It is a heart matter. This is what I believe happens in this text. Ananias and Sapphira were faking. They were lying to the Holy Ghost by saying, Nope, this is everything. We want to be just like Barnabas. We're bringing it all and we're laying it down. Peter asked, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of land? While it remained, was it not thy own? In other words, you didn't have to sell it. You didn't have to do this. You didn't even have to do this. You don't have to come to the front and wave in front of everybody. You don't have to fake it. You decide to, and you're lying to the Holy Ghost. Who are you hurting? You're hurting yourself with God. To hold back a, a part of the land. While it remained, was it not thy own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why are you faking? Wouldn't it be better for you to, instead of letting greed, greed overcome you and you lie to the Holy Ghost, wouldn't it be easier just to do what was right? Why did you conceive this thing in your heart? You haven't lied unto man, but unto God. So when we, when we are not honest in our giving, we're not, you're not lying to the preacher, you're lying to God. Verse 5, And Ananias, hearing these words, fell dead and gave up the ghost, and great fear came unto all those that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about a space of three hours. I mean, bud, they don't have funerals long there. Three hours later, the man's done. Died, wound up, buried. And the same men are already back. Three hours later, his wife comes in. Not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter asked her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. And Peter said, how is it that you have agreed? Ugh, see, it was a matter of a heart. But the husband and wife got together and agreed together to tempt the Holy Spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of them which buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. And she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear, I guess so. Great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Verse 12, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, there's no man join himself to them. In other words, the non-apostolic church stopped growing. but the people magnified them. So in other words, but the apostles were held in high regard. So verse 14, and believers were more added to the Lord, both multitude, multitudes both of men and women. So the, 
the non-apostolic church, people quit going there. They, they stopped. But to the apostolic church, believers were added insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least of the shadow of Peter's passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also, I'm closing here, there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem. They even came from other places they came to Jerusalem, bringing sick folks with them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. I believe that when a church truly becomes an apostolic church, a book of Acts church, when we get these things right, this is the kind of revival that is destined to happen. And I believe we're on the brink of that. I believe we're on the edge of it. We're, I think we're already beginning to witness and see it. And there is so much stirring in the atmosphere. I believe that God is going to add to this church because we are striving to become and to be an apostolic church. Would you stand with me? Let's just lift our hands and worship the Lord tonight and call on his name together now. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for the inspiration and the power of the name of Jesus. Thank you for your word tonight. God, let us become what you would have us to be. Let us grow in you. Let us become truly a book of Acts church, Lord, that we may do great exploits in the name of the Lord and that people may be added to the church for your name's sake. I pray over this congregation tonight, over every heart, every believer, every home. Be with us now. Keep us ever so near to you.